0: Hi, church family. Today's reading comes from the book of Psalms. This is chapter 146, verses 5 through 9. And it reads, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous, the Lord watches over the sojourners, he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Stay safe. Okay, Revive Church, it's a, uh, it feels like a full house, <laughs> even though I guess it isn't because we're socially distanced, and so um I'm super grateful to see your faces. It's really great, even if your face is half covered, Okay. <laughs> Um, we're in a we're in a we're in a difficult series called Biblical Justice. It's difficult both because the subject matter is complex, and it's also difficult because it's convicting. We're learning that we as human beings are regularly failures of justice, and we are individually and especially corporately, we as a people. And um, that's, that's a scary thing because God demands justice. And he says those who fail it will incur his vengeance, his wrath. And that's part of the justice since he is a truly just God. Um, but we are very thankful that through Jesus Christ, um, the Messiah, that he, he takes all justice and fulfills all justice, both by the wrath that we deserve but then also um, the mercy and the grace that goes forward to reach and heal people in and through us and from Jesus that we did not deserve. Now, I'm going to, I know this is going to feel, like I hope you don't go, you know, your eyes glaze over, when I'm going to go through this quick little recap. Every week, I'm trying to build something like, like a grand, like a, a, a plant. And the content of justice in the Bible needs to stay kind of in your mind and grow like a a beautiful thing inside of your mind and in your heart. And so I want to try to do this briefly, quick recap, until we can get to um, like the next step today, okay? So in the first message, I I said, justice is a divine attribute of God's character, and thus it is always eternal. Justice is really just who he is. All failures and violations against justice are an offense against him, right? It's not, so it's not some abstract law that's somewhere in the cosmos. It is really part of his very character and nature. I also shared that there's two kind of broad portions inside of justice, true justice according to the Bible. There's retributive justice. That is God's anger against those people who hurt and oppress people unjustly. And then his restorative justice, how he restores all just into the world and for all eternity. In um, the second message, I, am, I, call, I said that all human beings regularly, especially corporately, we fail justice. We are blind. We're not just We're blind to the ways that we're supposed to do justice, but we're blind to the very right and true understanding of justice. So of course, if you're blind to the right way of doing justice, we're not going to do it right. And thus, we should all be filled with humility. And not go forth out there and thinking we can, we're right and everybody else is wrong. Um, I said that, then I said that justice is really a subset of love. That justice isn't fundamentally about just right and wrongs, but that it flows out of the command that we should love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. Because that's what God does for all people. God does not look at them primarily through a rule and then go, just let me just apply my rule to everybody. Fundamentally, he loves all people right down to every individual, including those who are poor and vulnerable in society that we overlook and don't think are worth anything. But instead, he sees that they have infinite worth made in the image of God. Okay. Um, Number six, God does not merely look at people as an abstract set of rules. All right. Well, actually, I made that point. And seven, this is the point I made last week, um, which is that the Bible repeatedly emphasizes three types of people, three types of people that God demands that we care for, and this is true justice, and those three types of people are widows, the fatherless, our translation calls it the sojourner, I'm going to call them outsiders, I'm going to call them um, the minority. The widows, the fatherless, and the minority. Those are the three camps of people that we really must seriously begin to think about and have eyes for and what it means to live as as a just people before God. Okay? So let's continue. Today's message I've entitled, True Justice, Not Secular Social Justice. True justice, which is from God. All real justice is first and foremost from God, of God, for God, It'll be eternal. So it doesn't matter if you don't like it. <laughs> so I, I know that if you, if you are joining us today and you don't, you're not a believer in Jesus, you don't believe in the Bible, you might not like this message. Um, you might not like the fundamental presuppositions that we hold to. But um, church, Christians, you never have to worry whether every, if everybody is opposed to us. I want to say this to you as a church. Always hold to real justice from the Bible, from God. I don't care if everybody else in your company or in your neighborhood or your whole family hates your guts for holding the things that we're going to teach because God's justice is ultimately going to win. God's justice is eternal. It's never, ever going to truly fail. It could feel like it's failing in the short term and the temporal, but it's never going to fail and today is, um, we're going to talk about something that which, which makes the, the discussion of justice difficult because there's a lot of discussion of justice in our society. And it's generally under the guise of social justice. That's the way it's, it's called. And it's a powerful teaching. It's very pervasive. It's in, it's in all the universities. And it's pretty much running through most of your, your, your companies and corporations. And they have fun, certain fundamental presuppositions. And for the most part, they have nothing to do with God. And since they have nothing to do with God, I'm just going to play it out here. It pretty much is essentially a twisted and a false vision of justice. Now, it's not all wrong. See, that's what makes it hard. But um, everything that I just said to you that I'm just i round, I'm rounded out, I'm building up so I can start to get to teach you this. And so you can begin to think about social justice in light of the Bible instead of in light of God's vision and truth about real justice, okay? Let's get into it. Part one, biblical justice is not social justice. That's part one. I'm going to break down social justice a bit for you, okay? Part two, justice as the love and blessing of persons, not abstract fairness and equality. I started this just a little bit last week. Justice is really fundamentally the love and blessing of persons, particularly of certain these weak folks and those vulnerable that the Bible talked about that I mentioned last week. It is not fundamentally an abstract fairness and equality. And I'm going to close by offering really the good news that there's a king who brings true justice, which is really a fundamental expression of his love, the king of love and true justice. Okay? So part one, um, Let's look at today's text. I I gave you this text last week, but I I wanted to, this is just one of many last week. Um, Last week I showed you that there's tons of passages, and I just went through four of them, but there's a lot more than four of them, that really ultimately focuses on the widow, the fatherless, and the sojourner, or the outsider, as as I've been calling them. And let's let's look at one of them, and it's really just a description of, you get a sense of what God is like. Psalm 146, verse 5, so let's just go through this, and and then this will lead us into a discussion on kind of how our present-day secular um, ideas think about justice, okay? Verse 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, his God. Yahweh is God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. And here we go, verse 7. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord, Yahweh, sets the prisoners free. This is what he does. This is what justice does, okay? What does justice do? It doesn't fundamentally seek a political agenda, What justice does, there is something that defends the oppressed, feeds the hungry, sets the prisoners free. Verse 8, Yahweh opens the eyes of the blind. This is what justice does. Yahweh lifts up those who are bowed down, and Yahweh loves the righteous. And here we go, verse 9. The Lord, Yahweh, watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. And I want to make what may look like an incredibly obvious point. But today, in our society, it's completely ignored. In our society, in the way we think about justice, the way we talk about justice, I'm going to make a point that's totally obvious when you read the Bible. But it's completely not obvious if you think about justice from secular presuppositions, as our culture regularly does. And this is the point I want to make. Note how the Bible is focused on people. The Bible is focused on certain kinds of people. In justice, there's a repeated emphasis on persons. Very certain so when you go throughout a society and you want to think about who does God look at when he's concerned about justice, particularly when he's concerned about justice, you don't have to guess. Our culture tends to think there are certain groups. They have certain skin colors or something like this. This is the way our, our, our culture tends to think. But the Bible tells you exactly what God looks at. He looks at people. And those people are widows, the fatherless, the outsider. Let me say a few things about them. None of them have any power. They are generally vulnerable and overlooked. See, God sees them. We generally don't. The politicians sure as heck don't see them. A lot of the powerful people in our people sure don't see them, but God sees them. And he does not really look at them as just some kind of like group, like some, some kind of nameless, faceless group. The people, the poor, as, our, as, as a lot of our, um, as our language and our education talks about. We are here for the people. The people will rise up. You know, this is, this is the way a lot of, it's not how the Bible talks. When God looks at people, he sees them. So when God sees the widows, he doesn't just see the widows as a group. He sees your neighbor. Her name is Shelly. And she's 62 years old. And she lost her husband a year ago. And she's been horribly lonely and depressed ever since. He sees her. He sees people. He sees persons. Right down to the depths of who they are. Now, What I want to do is, the reason I want to put that point so strongly at you, and you're like, okay, pastor. Everything, I want you to think about everything I I ran through about what is justice. Now, it's first and foremost about him and who he is. And then thus, it is really, it's an expression of God's love. And God's love is always for individual persons. Individual persons, you you can call them in a group, but he never sees them as just some mass, faceless set. He always sees their deep, deep, profound particularity, and he knows them inside out. So this is how God looks at this issue and how it's taught. Now, what I want to do next is I want to give you um, a discussion, a little bit about how our culture talks about justice, particularly social justice. And... What I'm going to do is I'll give you a definition, which I think is a pretty good definition. I mean, you know, we could find somebody else to give a definition. And I want to just help you to see the contrast. Okay? So um, let's put this up there. I, uh, I gave a definition, and we'll share it. And I'm going to read it out loud. This is from William Young. And I forget, he was like undersecretary of nuclear power or something like this under um, um, President Bush. So, you know, he's a big He's an important person, or at least I was at one point. Wrote a really good article on social justice, but it doesn't really matter exactly who wrote this. And and I'll tell you where I got this from, and I want to commend this video to you, all right? It's a 37-minute video by a pastor named Vadi Baucham, V-O-D-D-I-E-B-A-U-C-H-A-M. I'll share that this week, okay? And the name of the video was on social justice, and at a conference, he... He basically lays this out, and that's where I got this definition. I could have gotten a lot of different places, but I thought he gave a particularly theologically, biblically, very, very sound analysis and understanding. Now, who is Vadi Balcham? He's American, and um, he is Dean of Theology at African Christian University in Zambia. I mean, he, he's, he's actually a really insightful, brilliant black pastor. Um, seminary trained in America, and he's American, but his family moved to Zambia for African Christian University, and he gave, and he gave a talk. But I want to—he—that's where I got this definition. So, here's what William Young and said, as, as quoted to me by volley Balchum. Here he goes: While often an amorphous term, that means it's kind of squishy and kind of hard put to put your. You know, hard to get get a grasp of. While often an amorphous term, social justice has evolved generally to mean state redistribution of advantages and resources to disadvantaged groups to satisfy their rights to social and economic equality. Remember that one more time. Well, often in amorphous terms, social justice evolved generally to mean state redistribution of advantages and resources to disadvantaged groups to satisfy their rights to social and economic equality. Now, a lot of you, you know, most of you, a lot of you adults, you've been to college and, you know, you, you've, been, you've been steeped. In the discourses of our of our society, do you think that's a conservative definition or a liberal definition? Don't you think pretty much if you gave this definition to a room of like everybody was um, 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 educated, college educated in America, they'd all go, "Yes, that's pretty much, that's a pretty good functional definition." So I just want to say this out for you: this isn't some loaded term here. This is pretty much how our society thinks about justice. Okay. And this is the operative way that we go. So different people may have sometimes of a different language. And by the way, sometimes I I, I, um, I see people do this. They use a certain language and then they sometimes have a different definition than the one that everybody else uses. And then they kind of demand that you use their usage, which I don't think is, that's just not good communication. And then they get really angry if you don't use their definition. Doesn't seem like just fair and honest talk. But this is generally the way our society uses it, is it not? Hmm? Now, let's just break this down a little bit. Social justice evolved to generally mean state redistribution. By state, we're just talking about government. Okay? So for those of you who may think state, we don't necessarily mean the state of California or versus federal, whether it's federal government or county government or state government. Here, the term just means government. So in other words, something that government has to do it fundamentally has to do with something of politics. And what, does the, what is the government supposed to do? It's supposed to redistribute power, wealth, money. So if certain sets of people seem to have more of it and some people have less of it, the government has a right to, to figure it out, has the right, actually, the duty, to figure out a new kind of balance. And it goes on to say... To redistribute the advantages and resources to disadvantaged groups. Groups. This is really, really important. I just got through really strongly emphasizing to you that Gandhi's persons. This is the point I really want to emphasize today. Our secular discourse always looks at people through a certain kind of shortcut kind of groups. We regularly in our society, does not, we do not look at the full totality of humanity. You look at a person, they're a lot more complex than whatever group that you, you stick them in. So when God looks at a widow, that he's go, oh, you're a widow. Boom, that's it. Now I know everything about you. God doesn't do that. The widow is an important aspect of the whole person. She, he sees her. He doesn't just go, oh, you're fatherless. He sees the whole person, the full complexity of the person. And in his wisdom... He selected these certain types of people that we have to see. But in our culture, we tend to just have certain groups. And, it, it, and we operate that these people have less, these people got more. And there's assumptions. There's all kinds of assumptions. They're never proved. They're always assumed that the people who got more, they always did it through injustice. They always did it through some kind of racism or oppression. And that's the language. So just to give you some example, I read a book called Hillbilly Elegy called by an author named J.D. Vance. The guy grew up dirt poor. And the reason the book is called Hillbilly Elegy, it's his memoir, his, um, his roots are people that we call hillbillies that go back to Kentucky, but his, that his family had over time had moved to, like I think, southern Ohio. And he describes his background. It's incredibly chaotic. And there's drug addiction and poverty. When I read this book, I was going, this is a book about poor white people, but it completely, I felt like it described the world that I know by when I, when I go to the Native American reservation, which I just came back from. I was like, this just describes their world. And so, but he's white. <laughs> And if you met him, he ended up, he had to go through this process, and he ultimately, he ended up going to the Marines, he graduated from Ohio State University, and then, he, and then he hit it big. He went to Yale Law School. And if you met him today, you would see a man of privilege. His white went to Yale Law School. Well, of course his white went to Yale Law School, but you wouldn't know that he was dirt poor, and he barely made it. And so when he made it into privilege, did he do it through oppression? Wait a second, but wait, he's white, and so he gets to share in all the power of white people, so there was oppression. And so there's a lot of profound assumptions about groups. And I won't won't go into all the details about groups, but I want to say today you really have to think seriously about this. This is the fundamental definition. This is the working definition of how our society thinks about justice. Well, what I want to ask you to do is put the Bible to it, okay? I'm not fundamentally interested in trying to have a political debate with you. I'm here to teach you the Bible. <laughs> but in order for you to think about the Bible, you at the very least, I'm challenging you to take the normal discourse of our times and put it up to the Bible. And then understand that if you consider yourself a believer of Jesus and his word is above all words, all words, all cultures, all times, all places, that when the discourse of our times disagrees with God's word, the Bible, you have to think seriously in your mind what has to take absolute top place, okay? Now, when I was a young man, you didn't have to spell that out. But today, I think you do have to spell that out. And um, so if some of you are thinking, like, pastor, come on. Like, don't you think what you're saying is a little, like, intellectually insulting? I'm not trying to insult you. <laughs> Having been a pastor for a long time, I regularly see it's Christians. They don't see that there's, there's a conflict here. There's a problem here. And we have to think through this issue and navigate this, where, we, where we are in our culture and let the Bible reign in our minds and in our hearts through our so that's the first thing I really want to say. Okay? So I'll just put a couple of other things out here. There have been Christians who have used the term social justice, and they have meant something, when they mean it, they want it to mean something about God's issues, God's concerns about justice. There have been Christians in history, and some today, so I'm not trying to condemn people for using the term social justice but I actually think more and more today it's just confusing. If you use the term social justice and you mean something like God's priorities about justice, you're not using the term anything like the way our society uses the term. And if you go into the world today and then you say social justice and they say social justice, you actually mean two different things. And if you think you're agreeing with them or they agree with you, I'm I'm telling you that's not the case. (laughs) In very profound ways... They don't agree with you if you believe it according to the Bible. more and more like so thirty years ago, when Christians used the term social justice, I think there was there was more and more overlap and there was room that there could be some you know wiggle room of how those terms are used, and it wasn't all entirely biblical, but there was some alignment there. But today I think it's more and more it's deeply problematic. if you're using the term social justice and you think it means the same thing as the Bible's understanding of justice, I honestly just think that's just naive, and it's not very helpful. It's actually very confusing. And so I'm just going to let you know that I'm putting it out there very, very clearly. My biases are I think there's a huge difference between biblical justice and social justice. I'm never going to mean that social justice is the same as biblical justice. In my mind, they're opposed They're two very different things. And the presuppositions and beliefs of our time on social justice, I actually don't even think it's just about politics. It's actually a kind of alternative competing religious vision. And so that's deeply problematic. If you want, our, I'm just going to jump into our society's vision of justice. And justice is really good, isn't it? But it's actually a different theological and religious vision, which is opposed to and undermines the Bible. That's the first thing I really want to get clear, Okay. Let's go to part two. Um, Justice is love and blessing to persons. Justice is love and blessings to persons. In the social justice vision of our society, so this is the way I started the first message. I don't know if you remember this. When you're a little kid, you know, every little kid says this. You said it. (laughs) If you're Chinese, you said it in Chinese, okay? (laughs) If, if, you know, like if you're Mexican, you said it in Spanish. If you're Korean, you said it in Korean. If you grew up here in America, you said it in English. But I promise you, you said this. It's not fair. Your older brother got something. You didn't. Your little sister got something. You didn't. It's not fair. And so you have this feeling inside of you that somehow justice was violated, and you're on the short end of the stick. And then when we grow into adults, we get more sophisticated about it, and then we get to say, who's on the short end of the stick? The modern day vision of secular justice is based on an abstract vision of fairness. So today when people talk about justice, it's actually not about persons. That's the point I want to get back to, you see? It's not about persons. It's about an intuition that's purely abstract. It's a feeling. And it never has persons in mind. And if I want to add, actually, you can get really blunt about this, I actually think it really just has comparison and covetousness in mind. And we went through a ser- sermon series on the Ten Commandments. The last commandment was, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's ox. <laughs> okay, I, I like to tell people to say, you know, just translate ox to your neighbor's car or something like that. <laughs> right? Um, And I think a lot of social justice today is just fancy, it's not fair, plus covetousness. That's all it is. So in other words, it's sin. (laughs) Let me just say that again. Social justice is not about something truly morally right and good and pure. It's something abstract. It's like a law but it's not in the bible it's not written down someplace it's like a feeling thing and then it's really then we apply it as some form of righteousness from man it's purely the opinions of people imposed upon people and it doesn't actually look at people it doesn't it's not thinking about people it's not thinking about how to bless them and serve them heal them it's a it's not fair They have more. They have less. These people who have more need to be taken away so these people can get, and then there can be fairness. And what I want to say to you is, I don't think that's how God sees it at all. In fact, that isn't how God sees it at all. God doesn't say, okay, these people have less money, tax these people, then these people have more money, these people have less money. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It's interesting. There are places in the Bible where God demands a tithe. And you know where the tithe goes? It goes to the poor. But this is interesting. He doesn't care if the rich gets less rich. What he's interested in is that the poor are not downtrodden and become truly human. That's what he cares about. That's what he cares about. In the Bible, he doesn't actually care about inequality of money that much. There are some incredibly rich people in the Bible And God doesn't say, okay, give all your money to the, I mean, I mean, he says it to like one or two people and that's like it, but that's not the way he reigns. He doesn't use some abstract principle and then just applies it to everybody. It's not how it works. He wants persons to love persons. It's never even about money, even. He wants persons, you could use money as just kind of like just one portion to care for persons. And so um, I want to just offer you a little thought experiment, okay? I'm going to ask you this question. It's an important question. It's an important question because it'll help you think the difference between social justice in the man-centered righteousness way versus the way God thinks about it, okay? And I want to just ask you this question. If you could be absolute ruler of all of society absolute ruler of all society. And you could make everybody get $100,000 a year. Everybody. Man, woman, child. Everybody. Just, I'm just using that number. That's a good number. It's a big number. Okay? Everybody gets $100,000 a year. What we'll do is we'll take all the money from the rich people, give them to the poor people. Everybody will be completely equal. Everybody be totally equal. It's an equality of result. Nobody will have more. Nobody will have less. Everybody will have enough. In fact, more than enough. I mean, not in Silicon Valley, but. But then again, Silicon Valley wouldn't be like the place where everybody's rich, since everybody's equal. Now let me ask you this question. Is this a more just world? Is that the world you want? Let me just ask you this question. Is that a more just world? Is that the world you want? And then let me tell you something else. It's been tried. <laughs> it's been tried. It's not just an idea, it's not just a thought experiment. Some people thought this is the way we'll make the world more just, and then we will get all the power, and then we will take from the rich, and we will give to the poor, and we'll make everybody equal. It's called communism. Communism is social justice done to the exact nth degree. Now, today I always go, okay, well, that was bad, and we're not going to do that, and we won't go there. But if you ask me, whenever I listen to the discussion in our society, it's always going there. It's really interesting. All the people who believed in social justice 30 years ago, there's a lot more of the people who believed in something more like biblical justice, and nobody believed in this kind of this kind of social and economic equality. Really what it was was so many people wanted more opportunity. So those people who are truly oppressed and excluded would really get a chance to live. But the fact is human beings are so interesting and odd and strange that there's no way anybody knows what the right kind of equality is. There's no way. No human being could understand that. Somebody actually wants to make a million dollars or a hundred million dollars, but you're like, okay, well, they're just bad. How do you know that? Now, in a lot of cases, maybe they are just greedy, but you know the richest man in the world is Bill Gates? Do you know what he does with his billions and billions of dollars? He and his wife started the Gates Foundation. What he does with those billions and billions of dollars is absolutely incredible. He's literally saving Millions and millions of lives in a true justice kind of way. You know who he's focused on? He's often focused on fatherless, widows, and the outsider. The oppressed minorities in desperately poor places all around the world. His wife, I don't know if you know this, she I don't know if she, what she believes about God, but clearly she seems to have a biblical ethic of poverty and justice. And he's the richest man in the world. Now, do you really want to make him take away all his money? I don't want to take away all his money. I think God thinks it's very, very good. This rich man, it's not so much, it's important whether he's rich, it's what he does with it. (laughs) So, I want you to think very seriously about that. God doesn't mind if some people have more, some people have less. You know what he's interested in? What do you do with it? Hmm. Will you love your neighbors? Will you see their humanity? Will you live justly? Will you love according to justice, his justice, see, persons? And I want to say one more point. Let's go to the close of my message today. I want to say this. Christians should never be hung up on fairness. You know why? Because if it was fair, we'd all burn in hell. (laughs) That's why. If there was only this kind of fairness justice, then there would only be retributive justice. And all of us, because we are guilty of not caring about the widows and the fatherless and the outsider. We genuinely want to go through our life and make ourselves rich and comfortable. So, You know, if I can make myself rich and comfortable and then it's kind of at the expense of some people in our society, then, well, I guess. (laughs) And we all operate like that. It's so normal, but God doesn't, I don't care how normal it is, God doesn't like it. So God let it be unfair to Jesus so it could be better than fair. Real justice leads to grace. And mercy, it's better than fair. God's not interested in abstract fairness and equality. You know what he wants to give you? He wants to love you. (laughs) Love is better than fair. It's not a little better than fair. It's way better than fair. If you give some poor person money, well, you just gave them probably about the easiest thing you could hand, hand them. But maybe they need time. Maybe they need a friend. If you love them, it's better than money. That's something that God cares about. And so, real justice cannot be something that only the government does. In fact, the government stinks at it. (laughs) But the best the government can do is make sure people aren't completely destitute. It can protect them from, like, People who want to exploit them. This is why, by the way, prostitution is illegal. I don't care if it's, oh, okay, you know, it's consensual. I mean, like, no, sorry. The people who become prostitutes are being exploited. So government goes, oh, you know, let's just make prostitution legal, and you know, she's really pretty, she can make more money by sleeping around. You think that's freedom? That will make God want to burn us down. And burn down the government. That's oppression, it's injustice. But what God wants to give is love. It's better than fair, OK? Now let's close. You know, um, I want to say this thing before we give you this verse. In Luke chapter four, Jesus starts his public ministry, goes to the synagogue. He quotes from the Old Testament. It's a passage about justice. And then he's basically saying, this is me. It's Isaiah chapter 61. And I've already preached it to you, but I want you to hear it again today. I want you to hear it again today. And I want to, before I read this, I want to say this. First, we must not be blind. if we take what the world teaches us as the truth and makes that the truth that shapes how we are and shapes our our morality and our priority and our righteousness, we are truly captive and we are blind. So even if you are richer and well-educated, I think a lot of people today, the education was the way that we became blind. (laughs) Education, education was the way we got brainwashed. And when, if you were young, you heard the Bible and you could see. And then we went off to college and we became blind. <laughs> so there's a lot of Christians today. We self-blinded ourselves on justice. And then we shackled ourselves to this man-centered understanding, which very, very sadly is filled with futility. Because if justice is about some kind of pure abstract version of fairness, it's never going to work. It's never, ever going to (laughs) work. You think rich people are going to want to give up their money to help poor people just because it's fair? Because they're just going to be like, okay, I know what's righteous. I'm a social justice person. I'm a social justice warrior. I'm willing to do this. Maybe one out of a thousand such people will actually be willing to do it from the heart. will never ever this will never ever get to justice. The best thing we could, the government could force people, we could take their money, maybe. But all of it will be done by guilt. And then it'll be done by shame. And then it'll be forced upon you, through coercion. Does this feel familiar? but it won't be by love. (laughs) It won't be by love. It won't be by real justice. And it won't be from God. And if we're in this, we're so blind and shackled. We're in prison. We're in prison to something, into a world, which is just a big, giant prison. But we're not moving towards something truly heavenly. Because without God, we will never, ever make it. And the widows and the fatherless and the outsider will be oppressed and exploited. But how can we get there? So let's read it, Isaiah 61. This is Jesus' description of himself from Isaiah. This was the prophecy looking to him. And then he said, this has been fulfilled, and this is how he puts it. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor. And there's a the scary part, and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, Zion is the city of God, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Oh, let me just get from here. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh, that He may be glorified. Let me just stop for a moment. Will today's secular justice make us oaks of righteousness? Will it give us? Will it give us the oil of gladness, a beautiful headdress? It will not. But through Jesus, these are all possible. In fact. These are his gifts. This is our inheritance. Verse four. They, that is those who are truly under him, shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. One of our great, one of our important, really core values in Revive is that we're going to love our city. We're going to be heavenly citizens of the city of God for our city. Because Jesus has come to take all the justice and wrath we deserved so that he could pour out a new kind of justice. And he then would give us things like this, the oil of gladness and a garment of praise. We become oaks of righteousness that want to rebuild the devastations. Because when we look at our neighbors, we can begin to see them something closer to the way God sees us. That we were once poor. That we were once outsiders. That we were fatherless. We thought that we're going to build our own empire and we're going to make our own justice. And we are going to do it on our own. And that we're going to make our own identity and build our own cities, but we're really just orphans. And then we were outsiders to his city, to his family, to his great heavenly culture. And by grace, by the true justice of Jesus, he embraced us It took us in. So brothers and sisters, don't be nervous we never have to be obnoxious about this or arrogant about this. We, let's disagree with our culture confidently yet humbly for Jesus has truly loved us <laughs> and given us his real justice so that it can go out into the cities and the devastation and we can magnify him and enjoy him and share the oil of gladness we receive from him. Let's pray. To a desperately poor people. Blinded and shackled by our own righteousness. We love our laws more than we love you. And we want to build our own righteousness instead of being washed of the sinfulness of our righteousness and having true righteousness, yours, Jesus. And help us have new eyes and help us to look at people the way you do. But let us first start by seeing ourselves in light of desperate need. Desperate need of your kind of mercy and justice which is really love and help us to walk and live in that love for others because first and foremost we have received love and mercy and justice from and through you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for being our Father. We thank you, Jesus, for being this type of king. So walk with us. Pour out your spirit upon us and through him, May we have the oil of gladness and not mourning and offer this type of real justice to our city as oaks of righteousness in the promise of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.